up world. Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You'll listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Make sure you download the app and join me Wednesday night this week at 6 p.m. to get in on the action. Spotify Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. It was quite a Sunday evening in the National Basketball Association as the Atlanta Hawks beat the Philadelphia 76ers in Philly in Game 7 to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. The Conference Finals are set in both conferences. Game 1 between the Chris Paulless Suns and the Kawhi Leonardless Clippers. Tipped off today. Your Phoenix Suns up 1-0 in the West. And Bucks Hawks. I can't believe that's the Conference Finals we got, but Bucks Hawks. Game 1 is Wednesday to tip off that series. So what I want to do in today's show is kind of um, take stock of what we've seen in the playoffs. Uh, I, I want to, I, We need to talk about Ben Simmons and the, and the Portland Trailblazers. That's what we're going to do in the first segment. Um, Philly just melted down. Ben Simmons was an absolute nightmare. His future in Philly is uh, in question, and his trade value has plummeted since your boy in this very space said there's no way the Blazers could swing a trade for Ben Simmons because he's too good. He's been horrific since then and um, really, really, really hurt his trade value, which could be good news for the Blazers or maybe Ben Simmons is broken. We'll talk about it later in this first segment. But then I want to talk about what we've seen from like the teams that are having success in the playoffs and kind of what lessons we can learn from them and apply it to the Trailblazers. Like what do what do the sort of championship level or you know conference finals level teams what what do they possess that maybe the Blazers don't or where where do the Blazers need to sort of get more out of the, the roster that they already have in place to reach this level? Um, I, I think there's some obvious stuff, but I think there's some there's some little specifics we can take away to kind of um, see the Blazers' path forward. But first, let's let's hang out in the hypothetical for a little bit. Uh, regular podcast listeners will know that I'm I'm not a big fan of trade machine. It's not um, the part about basketball I like is basketball. Uh, but but I, it's the off season. It's it is my duty. Uh, in fact, um, speaking of that, and before we'll kind of walk the way in here with a mea culpa and a little preamble uh, in the in the CJM column trade episode um, that that I ran last week. Uh, I was had kind of pegged two guys, uh, Chris Middleton and Tobias Harris, as possible like re- realistic sort of trade targets in terms of their salary and their ability to um, look for the Blazers to sort of start a trade. Um, you know, not a straight across trade for either of those guys, but something that uh, you know a, a trade package built around CJ and Chris Middleton, and then you figure out sort of uh, what the Blazers would need to give an addition or or what the, the Sixers would want, um, what the Bucks would want, et cetera, et cetera. Since then, uh, and after, when I recorded that, the Bucks were down 0-2. Chris Middleton looked like he was having another kind of stinker playoffs. He's been incredible since then, just absolutely fantastic. There is no way in hell the Bucks consider that trade. Um, it is that trade idea is incredibly outdated. Um, here we are 10 days later, and... Whew, <laughs> um, it's just not happened. It's just not happened. At the at the time, at the sort of the, the evening that I recorded it, it seemed like uh, wishful thinking, but within the realm, it is no longer within the realm. And Tobias Harris is now not, you know, at the time, the, the reason for Tobias Harris was like, Ben Simmons is too good. Um, he's just too good. And then the Sixers aren't going to trade Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum because Ben Simmons is too good. He's an elite, he's an elite defender. And while he, he's a really weird offensive player, he's, you know, he's good enough and big enough and, and capable enough to sort of, to be a star in the league. And he's just, he's just like a tier above what CJ McCollum has been. Ben Simmons has been horrific since then. And I don't think anyone in the NBA has lowered their sort of 
perceived value or trade value, um, you know, on, on perception of their on-court value and thus their perception in the trade market more than Ben Simmons has. Dude plays, plays scared. Um, he can't be on the court offensively in the most important games. Uh, and it's hard to... It's He's just a true conundrum. Uh, in the final three games of the series, he... And then lost to the Hawks. They lost game five, came back and won game six, and then lost game seven at home. Ben Simmons took a total of 14 shots from the floor in three games. Three games. That isn't even the free throw stuff where he's where he struggled immensely from the from the line and obviously got in his head and changed uh, changed the series. Like he was he was horrific in the playoffs from the free throw line. But I'm just talking about like attempt to make a layup. I don't even give a shit about Ben Simmons shooting jump shots or all those things. Like he passed up a wide open dunk in Game Seven with his team trailing to hand the ball off to Matisse Thybul. It's not like he's 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 not giving it up to Joel or or even Toby. It's like. Ben Simmons looked played scared and his value as a basketball player is in question, particularly at his price tag. Uh, it has been reported by, or at least speculated in a sort of reporter type way by ESPN's Zach Lowe that Simmons is, uh, trade value has, has plummeted. And if like Zach is plugged in is why I, I, um, you know, cite him here. All of us, if we watch the games, you know, that his, his, his sort of stock, his value, his perception of, of, of what he brings to the table has taken a massive hit. You don't need to be plugged into NBA uh, circles to know that. You just need to watch a portion of the fourth quarter of each of these games where my man dribbles up the court, hands the ball off to Seth Curry, and then trots over to the dunker spot and hides, hoping the ball won't find him. He is a He was a non-factor in this series. So this sounds like a lot of hateration and holleration in the dancery, and it is, y'all. It is. That's that. That's what that. That's what that ninety seconds you just heard was. Was me hating and hollering on ben, at Ben Simmons. But here's what changes now. The market is going to be drastically different. And if the Blazers want to get involved for a Ben Simmons trade, CJ McCollum could be involved, and it could be possible. Is it likely? I, hard to say. Like right now. Like um. You know. This I'm recording this forty minutes after the game ended. Um. It's just the beginning of what is an off season, but I, I, I promises to be you know a busy off season. Is what I meant to say, but it's there is a real possibility that a CJ for Simmons swap is is at least palatable, um, and even could be something where the Sixers say please help us type of thing. Where where I thought this was you know ten days ago or whatever it is now. Um, less than two weeks. I, I thought there was no chance. And it looks like I was very, very wrong about that. And now it seems like Simmons has hurt his value so much that the question is, what is his actual market? Like, is CJ McCollum too good of a player to give up for Ben Simmons? I think no, heavily. Because, and let me just lay it out, lay it out for you here, and then we'll we'll get out of the, um, the realm of the hypothetical, because the rumors will come, and we'll address the rumors as they come. And many of you are so curious about that. I've, I've already had emails and tweets about, so Simmons for CJ. Uh, even non-listeners like my friends are like, Simmons for CJ, um, in my text. So, uh, it's, it's like, it's in the zeitgeist. I want to address it here. Uh, 
I would still consider it because of the defensive versatility. And I think removing Ben from Philly would help and getting him on a situation where the best player on his team is not a, a big center who needs um, to crowd the paint to be good. Like Embiid can score all over, but he's at his best. You know, he's a bruiser in the post. Like he's uses his, his physicality, his athleticism around the rim to be dominant. He can shoot from the mid range and all those things and shoot threes and blah, blah, blah. But like he, he takes up so much space in the paint that I think removing Simmons from that type of player could help now you say like what about Yusuf Nurkic and I say yeah I know man that's the problem with Ben Simmons like he's it's a weird fit with other basketball players because he he won't shoot three-pointers and is afraid to take layups those are important parts of the modern league I don't know what else you do if you only take transition layups you're pretty freaking limited in the half court like you don't have an offense and you and you play scared that's what we just watched but I would still take I would like I think the Blazers are in need of 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 you know, risking it, risk it for the biscuit type of thing that I would, I would strongly consider it if not pull the, pull the trigger right away. I'm not giving up. I wouldn't want to give up CJ multiple picks for Ben Simmons. Like, hell no, that's not his trade value anymore. Um, you, you know, you try to pry it out as a straight across trade. You try to, um, you know, try to figure out some other things. Maybe you try to throw in a, a pick sweetener and steal Matisse Thibel and give him Anthony Simons back or something like I will. There's like a lot of permutations. I'm sure many of you will send them to me. Um, but like, you consider it, and I don't, while I think Ben Simmons is like deeply flawed, um, I think like an inverted pick and roll with Simmons and Dame screening is interesting. And 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 a small ball lineup, if, if you know, that we never saw from Doc Rivers, where Simmons plays a little bit of center in some lineups, and then you switch everything with, with Robert Covington on the wing. Like that, there's, there's real value to be had there. Um, is Simmons good enough to be the second best player on a championship team? Probably not. But neither is TJ McCollum. So I'm still in favor of, of considering it. And I think now we've reached a point. Now we've reached a point where the CJ for Simmons thing is like a real thing you should, both franchises should consider. Um, depending on what sort of the other throw-ins are there, you can, you can, will you know, can sort of wait what's a good deal for either side, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of just, if you were just thinking of it like those two swapping places, Right now, as I sit here today, I am still in favor of the trade because Ben Simmons desperately needs a change of scenery and the Blazers desperately need to just try something new. Um, they, it might fail colossally, but you've seen kind of what this team's ceiling is. They've already reached it a couple times. There's no reason for them to bump their heads up against it. Again, you might as well swing big knowing that you could epically strike out and look like a doofus because the worst thing you could do is run it back and still look like a doofus. So yeah, Ben Simmons, uh, I would say something like 60% chance he's not on the on Philly's roster um, next season, maybe higher. Um, you got to do something. He plays for, you know, a really aggressive GM in, in Daryl Morey. Um, I think I, I think this meltdown by the Sixers was probably good news for those, for any team that's willing to take a risk on Simmons because his value will never be lower and the Blazers should absolutely be on the list of teams that are willing to take a risk on Ben Simmons. Uh, this as, as for all of his faults, this is as sort of high a level basketball player as, as you could probably acquire in a CJ McCollum trade. And I've said it a million times, it's a talent league. Um, you want to stack up talent. Simmons is has real gifts, an elite defensive player, a menace in transition. It's just what he's bad at playoff basketball and scoring in the half court when the game gets tight is a massive, massive issue. Uh, perhaps he can figure it out. Um, but 
<laughs> There's a reason why he's available now like he wasn't two weeks ago. There's a reason why his value has massively, massively changed. Um, and it's not, um, <laughs> and it's only he, it's only him that did it. It's only Simmons that did it. All right, let's come back in the second segment and talk about the sort of elements of the teams that are in the conference finals that the Blazers should try to emulate. What what sort of, when you're thinking about how they could change this roster, what are the items you look for in, from teams that have been successful and have advanced and are still still kicking in the playoffs? But before we get there, let's talk about Indeed. If you're a hiring expert at your company, what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier, and you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all in Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster, only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, and schedule and complete video interviews right in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. Plus, according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right. So we talked about Ben's plummeting trade value and why I still think he should be a, a a major trade target for the Blazers. I haven't I've soured on Ben Simmons' ability to like be good, but the Blazers need they need a boost, they need a bump, they need a they need some kind of change. And I am willing because it's my job isn't on the line. I'm a, I'm merely a podcaster. If I get it wrong, um, you know someone will maybe play the tape back to me. But I'm not gonna get fired. I'll just get the chance to be wrong again in the future. I would still do this trade. Um, I understand there is a there is a serious risk, and the Sixers when they're shopping Ben Simmons get to call 28 other teams. But I would consider it. I would get on the phone to Daryl Morey tonight. I'll be blowing up his phone like it's as soon as I, uh, as the media ends up, and as soon as as soon as you kind of um, think you have a little window, I'll be blowing up Daryl Morey's phone and say, "Let's talk. Let's talk soon." But that's enough about Ben Simmons, because Lord knows we're going to talk about we're going to talk more about Ben Simmons here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm already anticipating an all Simmons mailbag. I'll actually resist that, but I know that I could probably pull it off because I know people are excited about it. That's why we led the show with it. But I want to talk about sort of what we've learned from the other playoff teams and what's what are the aspects of the teams that are still alive in this tournament, the final four teams um, that the Blazers could try to emulate. And I think there's like, there's just two obvious things where the Blazers need to need to either. They need guys to develop and be capable of these roles. They need a coach to kind of unlock uh, the talent already on the roster, or they need roster upgrades. It's probably all three. It's usually a combination of things, but uh, let's, let's talk about the first one here, which is the value of versatility. Uh, and I think we really saw this in the Clippers' ability to beat the Utah Jazz and and make the make the conference finals. You know, no Kawhi Leonard in Game Five, no no or Game Six. He didn't play in Game One. They're they're already down in that series to a Chris Paul the Suns, as I mentioned at the top of the show. But the Clips have the ability 
Ability Go Small, um, which they did a bunch with Nicholas Batum and, and Marcus Morris at, at the five. And they can go big in a, in a couple different ways and go big with like a bruising, uh, you know, post up individual offense type of Boogie Cousins. They can go with the rim running, you know, roll man of uh, Vita Zubac. Uh, they've, they've, you know, in, in theory, they could have gone another whole another direction with Ibaka. That was, I guess, the whole idea. But he's he's out. Right. But. They have that uh, this the versatility to it play a bunch of different sizes. You also see that with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they can go like they don't go they don't ever go super big. They just play like you know f- f- uh, two kind of six eight ish guards or six eight ish wings around uh, DeAndre Ayton in the middle. They don't they don't ever play two traditional bigs, but they can downsize and go small and put Crowder at the five and play um, you know play Tory Craig at the five. Like they can they play Darius Charts at the five too. He's like more towards a traditional five for sure um just in terms of skills maybe not in height but like they can play a bunch of different sizes uh that's valuable the bucks don't do it as much as they could but they have the personnel to play um to play a bunch of different shapes and sizes uh the hawks do it a little bit when john collins um they go from him at the four uh, or and next to Clint Capella to him at the five and bring in uh, Danilo Gallinari. Like they can shape shift that lineup versatility is something that the Blazers just like didn't quite have. Um, they, they experimented with small ball a little bit, but Terry Stotts for who knows what reason never gave us even one single minute of Robert Covington at the five and Derek Jones at the four. We never saw one single second of it this year. Um, one of the most unforgivable things of, of the whole Terry Stotts uh, 2021 experience is that um, you got these new parts on the roster and you never tried them in their sort of most interesting way. Um, that's it's, you know, it's, it's, Roster and coaching matters. I think players matter more than coaching. We'll get to that in a second, but like, um, <laughs> it helps if you try it. Doc Rivers never went small. Like the clip, the the Sixers have an opportunity to play smaller, like play a small ball look, particularly when Embiid sits. And Doc Rivers never went to it. Um, he's he is now done coaching for the year. So you know, roster matters, but coaches have to implement it. Um, that that versatility matters. Uh, the Bucks, even with their versatility, like guard, trying to guard Kevin Durant in the in the semifinals, like they they a heavy dose of PJ Tucker. But when it's not PJ Tucker, it's Chris Middleton or it's Drew Holiday. They give him a bunch of different looks. PJ Tucker even talked about it. Like he guards Kevin Durant in as many different ways as he can. Even though like the scouting report says go over on every screen, he was saying that he'll mix in going under a couple times a game just to throw Kevin Durant off, just so he knows when he's coming off a screen that he can't curl into the paint with PJ behind him. This time he's, you know, setting up for the curl. PJ darts under, shoots the gap, changes, you know, at least changes the calculation. Kevin Durant, really good, still going to score, but like that ability to throw the the smaller uh, PJ Tucker on him, the the you know a tiny guard who's got some strength in Drew Holiday or or kind of the the length the little bit longer uh, Chris Middleton that helps. Uh, they didn't put Giannis on him. It's just not what Giannis is going to do. He's a help defender. Um, <laughs> so um, I know that was a big deal, but it's just that's uh, just not they're just not going to roll like that. It's not how the Bucks do it. But in addition to like lineup versatility, like a bunch of different shapes. Um, the thing that the good teams have been able to do is play a bunch of different ways. Um, the Bucks have mostly run a shit ton of drop coverage with Brooke Lopez in the game, but when he's out of the game, they show their ability to switch and they show their ability to trap even, and, um, and not just switch everything or, or have guys come at the level and then, and then hand off, but like straight up trap. They've even helped showed and recovered to try to get PJ Tucker to stick on Kevin Durant. Like then when, when they take their traditional center out of the game, they've shown 
shown they've shown a willingness to play a bunch of different styles. And the Clippers, in their closeout game against the Utah Jazz, coming back from down 25, they played regular drop coverage to begin the game. Then they played a little bit where the pick and roll big man's at the level of the screen. So you bring everybody up higher and play like sort of a traditional style defense, but instead dropping into the paint with the big, he's up at the screen and, and showing a little bit. Then they also played just straight up switch everything, which they went to a bunch. They played a little bit of zone to throw the jazz off and get them back in their game. And they and then they played late in the game. They were switching everything and then a late trap. As opposed to just trapping the pick and roll right away, they would switch and then wait a beat and rely on Patrick Beverly's sort of innate sense of when to time the double teams to go chase down Donovan Mitchell. And it really worked like that. That aggressive defense really worked. But it, it wasn't because they could do one thing. It was because they could do five different things. Um, I think the lesson here for the Blazers, and, and this is the challenge for the next coach, is to build a really strong base doing one thing on defense and then try to experiment with other things. Like, I think the problem with this year's team is that they wanted to do a couple different things. Um, some of it was personnel problems. Like, if it's Anthony Simons, Ennis Cantor, and Carmelo Anthony as your three guys off the bench, um, you're just going to be a bad defensive team. <laughs> Like that, like you could, be, you should be better than maybe 29th or whatever, but, um, you're, you do have a, you do have a ceiling and it's probably like slightly below average. Uh, but the Blazers need whoever the next coach is needs to have a, a, a strong base defense, something they do well, a la the Milwaukee Bucks drop coverage, right? Like something you can rely on. We can be a good defense doing this. And then. You build out the counters from there. You build out, okay, we can go more aggressive or we can, okay, we can be smart about our switching. Okay, we can play, like we can mix in six minutes of zone. Uh, the Blazers tried to play a little zone this year. Stotts tried to install it and they were bad at it. They were they were not connected or good with zone defense. Like um, that, that, I think the versatility is both the right sort of shapes and sizes and skill sets of players to play a bunch of different ways, both on offense and on defense. And then the sort of willingness of a coach to put the right groups together. So that, so that versatility shows up. I think that, I think like that is, um, that's incredibly important. That's, that is a thing that the Blazers don't necessarily have. I think they thought they had it, but, um, and, you know, you, your mileage may vary on this. Like, if, if you're a big believer in that, that Nazir Little would have been an impact player this year, then I think you can knock Terry for not playing him. I don't really think he would have been. Um, I, that's not what I saw much from Nas, but I also agree he did not get much of a chance. Um, I wasn't a bit, I'm not a big Derek Jones Jr. believer either, but I know there's people who, out there who are, and um, I, I am under the impression that a different coach could get much more out of Derek Jones Jr., for sure. Um, I'm not sure he's this, like, elite stopper that, that some have pegged him to be, but do, do I think the the Blazers have like some guys already on the roster that could contribute to lineup and defensive versatility. Yes. Do I think they have a bunch of guys in the roster that could do that and be good offensive players? Not really. And that's kind of the challenge here. Speaking of guys on the roster, I think the next most important thing that you need for to be successful in the playoffs is depth. And I think this season has shown it more than anything else. And I what I want to talk about in the third segment is the value of depth, how it's been demonstrated in the playoffs and sort of where the Blazers can find depth or what they should look for as they try to build out a roster and get a little bit deeper to be this, to be, um, you know, to take the steps that these teams, that these teams have taken over the weekend. So that's what we'll talk about in the third segment. Before we get there, let's talk about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the market. Comes in nine delicious flavors. You can try all of them by getting a mixed box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors, including my personal favorite, peanut butter brownie. Uh, order one of those, find out what you like, and then order more from there. Um, they're all they're all 
just great tasting protein bars. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They got that candy bar like texture. Plus, they have at least 17 grams of protein and no more than five grams of net carbs. They're good and good for you. So go to builtbar.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your first order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Lasers. We talked about a Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum hypothetical. We talked about the value of versatility in the playoffs. But now I want to talk a little bit about the importance of depth. In this postseason, as much as as, as any in recent memory, the value of depth has, has showed up because of the compacted schedule and um, and the quick turnaround from last year and just the her- just the horrific plan to play 72 games in such a short period of time. And the NBA has turned this into already uh, typically a sort of battle of attrition into, you know, that has only been super magnified during this season. And we've seen the teams that are deep enough to overcome some, uh, some injury woes uh, have, have been able to advance. And, you know, there are, there, you know, you lose your second and third best player, uh, James Harden and Kyrie Irving, you're going to be in trouble. Pretty much anyone um, who loses players number two and three is probably not going to advance in the playoffs. It just proves how how freaking good Kevin Durant is that uh, that the Nets were in the conversation. And since we're going heavy on the, uh, the playoffs here, it's a reminder that our NBA playoff coverage, the road to the finals, is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So the value of depth has showed up in so many different ways, right? Like uh, it showed up in for the Hawks because they've lost Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. Like DeAndre Hunter is really important for what they do. And it, we haven't, they're in the conference finals. No one is lamenting the loss of DeAndre Hunter. They're just keeping it moving. Cam Reddish is like a, is a, as a, I mean, he, he went to the wrong college, y'all. I get it. But uh he, he can play like he's he's a he's a, a good defensive player even at a young age like he can help you win games in the playoffs I, in my opinion I don't know how much he would play necessarily but he certainly would um, be a sort of a, an option for them and another another option on the wing you can never have too many sort of capable wings I think we see a lot less Solomon Hill if we've got a Cam Reddish opportunity um, and if you watch the Hawks at all in the playoffs less Solomon Hill probably sounds like a good deal um in Phoenix, the the Hawks just won, or excuse me, in Phoenix, the Suns just won their first re- first game of the Western Conference Finals without Chris Paul, the point guard, because they have a really competent backup point guard in Cameron Payne, uh, incredibly valuable. The Clippers made the Western Conference Finals because they had options off the bench with Luke Kennard and Terrence Mann and Rajon Rondo, who kind of played here and there, and and Demarcus Cousins, who was a you know like basically playing spot minutes the whole playoffs and all season long for the most part, except for when they had really, really bad injury trouble. Like they, you, you just, these are little parts that play. And in the playoffs, you always just need little parts that can contribute. I think turning that back to Portland is like the Blazers just didn't, they didn't have another point guard. They didn't. So it's like, it became harder to sort of um, take the ball out of Damon CJ's hands in that way. Also, then they, they had too many guards with Ant and Norm who were playing well, and they, they kind of, those positions overlapped a little too much, and they were missing spots on the wing. They didn't have a third rim protector, so when Cantor wasn't an option, they had to go small, and they went small by force, not by choice. Uh, they didn't, like, the Blazers had 
reasonable depth during the regular season to like be as good as they were but playoff basketball is different and the sort of the depth that you need is specific it's you know Luke Kennard gets had had a had a really good game against the Dallas Mavericks but basically got you know played off the floor a couple times uh in the second round of the playoffs he was good he was good against a team that wasn't good that didn't have like the type of wing that was specifically going to eat him alive and then when the Jazz figured out he was the guy we're going to go at. The Tyloo went another way. Um, same with sort of the Zubac thing with with the Clippers too. Like he was good when the uh, against uh, Dallas when they were going super big, but it turned out in both series going small was the direction you need to go, and you do it by choice, not by force. You know, some guys get played off the court, but if your depth gets played off the court and you don't have other options behind them, like if you don't, if you can't flip that coin between Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard, you're probably not going to. You know, you have real limitations. Uh, the Hawks' ability. To to choose from uh, Kevin Herter, who just had an incredible Game Seven, um, and and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's uh, you know hurt his knee and is and was struggling a little bit. The ability to go to another guard. Uh, they rode Lou Will a bunch in Game Five, and then he didn't play much and didn't have as big a role in Game Seven. They went to Gallinari when they needed him. Like these are the the bench unit matters, particularly. Um, in these close games, like, can you steal a couple easy buckets with mix ma- mismatches? Like, can you go after it? The Blazers got absolutely shelled by Denver's bench. It's why they're at home in the playoffs right now. The bench unit got their ass whooped for six straight games. That's why they're home. And actually, game one, the Ant and, and Carmelo Mather shots and the Blazers won that game, right? Like, so for the final five games, Denver's bench was dominant and that was the difference in the game. Um, you know, why I did depth and then versatility is because like you aren't versatile if your depth isn't good, right? Like you can't play a bunch of different ways, a bunch of different styles if you just don't have enough talent. Like the, you need more talent. And I think that's kind of where I land on watching these playoffs. Coaching matters. Coaching matters. Nate McMillan did a better job coaching the Hawks than the than Doc Rivers did coaching the Sixers. But the the Sixers also turned the ball over 20 times in Game 7. Uh, Doc Rivers put shitty lineups on the floor that were more prone to turnovers, but also his the guys turned the ball over. Uh, when the Clippers came back from down 25 against... Uh, against the Jazz in Game 6, right? Like, this is a brilliant, all-time great comeback, right? And I thought Ty Lue coached his ass off. He said, we're never going to put Rudy Gobert in pick-and-rolls. Uh, we're going to... His man will never set the screen in pick-and-rolls. We're going to run high pick-and-rolls, or we're going to run straight-up isolation, so Rudy is never in the main action. We are going to turn him into a help defender only. And then we are going to hunt... Whoever he helps off of, we are going to find them in the corner. So put, make Rudy Gobert the low man, like make him the low man so he's he's naturally going to come to the paint and protect the rim in pick and roll actions or iso actions and he's the weak side low man. He will come over, use his natural proclivity to help or propensity to help rather uh, against him, find the guy in the corner. The thing is, that's, that is brilliant coaching, right? Like that's really good coaching. But then Terrence Mann had 39 points. <laughs> That's not Ty Lue. Like, if, if Terrence Mann gets those shots and doesn't make him, uh, if, if Patrick Beverly, who hit three threes in, in, in game six, if he doesn't make him, you can have a good scheme, but players play. Like, it's... Uh, I still think I still think like talent and just like the dudes on the court are something like 60% of the, of the, of the formula. For, the other 40% is probably coaching and strategy and roster. Um, it's... It, you know, some combination of, of 
coaching strategy and roster with with maybe even roster bumping over coaching. Like it's it's who it's who you choose to put on the floor, who you who else you can put on the floor, and then what you design for those gentlemen. I, I mean, I I just think um, I just think we've seen it. Like the the Ben Simmons played like a dog in Game Seven and they lost. Uh, Tobias Harris was horrific until the final five minutes and then not quite good enough when they needed him. And 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 Joel Embiid was really good, but it didn't matter. And Kevin Herter on the other end had thirty. And Trey Young hit one incredibly important three. Like it comes down to it, players play. Um, this. You know, in 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 the game one of the West Finals, like Devin Booker was the best player on the court. Um, I thought they did a really good job of of getting Aiton into um, into positions where he could attack and be uh, be more impactful against that small switching lineup. Phoenix knew what they were going to do and went after it. Um, I thought Paul George was fantastic through three quarters and just kind kind of ran out of gas. Like I don't think. Um, I don't think this was, I don't think that was like a sort of like a coaching failure on, on the Clippers part. Uh, I just think like the, the Phoenix hat was better on that day because, because players matter. I also think like sort of bucks, bucks nets, like, um, I don't think Mike Budenholzer coached his ass off, but when the game was on the line, uh, Chris Middleton made a huge jumper and and Giannis Antetokounmpo made a baby baby hook. But on the other end, like as as well as they played and as smart as they played, if Kevin Durant's toes are on the line, the Nets are in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know he he backs up something like a half inch on a step back and and he hits a game winning legendary three. Like that isn't on Budenholzer necessarily. Like other stuff might be, but it's um and it's, it's not Steve Nash's fault that his you know he didn't trust his bench. Maybe it is. Uh, but like the, the biggest impact is the dudes on the court. So like, I, well, I think for, I think ro- like why I'm talking about like roster and, and depth and all this stuff is like, I think the way to the Blazers are heading into a massively important off season. And the most important thing that they're going to do in like sort of the near term is hire a coach to guide that, right? Like we're all going to see that. We're going to think about it and all and like and discuss it here and all these things, right? Like we're going to, it's going to be important, but I don't think the coaching hire is the most important thing they do this summer, but at all, like how they, sh- what they give the coach to work with, like what the roster looks like is so much more important than the coach. Better strategies, more, you know, better better defensive strategies you know maybe more ball movement on offense although depending on who they bring in you can win a lot of games with some iso basketball for sure uh like but you know sharing the sharing the ball more more ball movement and and just sort of like a better defensive principles the blazers can take a big step forward but the way that they'll step from like where they are now to being one of the last four teams in the tournament is dependent on the roster that's versatility and that's depth um and that roster construction and who's on, who who has of who is on the court and who's available to be on the court are the most important things in the playoffs and that is absolutely my takeaway from from a really fun weekend of hoops a lot of bummers a lot of injuries and stuff like that but really 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 good basketball games over the last three days um i hope if you're listening to this podcast you got a you got a chance to watch some of them because they have been a real treat that's going to do it for today's show uh tell your friends about this podcast they can get it wherever they already get podcasts just search locked on blazers will be there waiting for you we're gonna do a traditional mailbag on monday so if you're listening to this when it comes out or before monday evening uh june 21st send me a, a question at mike g rich on twitter or locked on blazers pod at gmail.com Mailbag Monday will be a Tuesday show. I've, I've recorded on Monday evenings and posted on Tuesdays. That'll be the same. Uh, I'm trying to get some interviews. I have, um, I have, 
people are, it's a little harder to nail down people in the off season, but I'm, I'm doing my best here. I know that I've been slacking on those. Uh, I want to bring you one a week all summer long through the off season. I'm not going anywhere. And I don't want the show's format to drastically change. So I'm still trying to bring some, uh, some folks, media folks in to, um, you know, have, have conversation about the direction of the team, et cetera, et cetera. So look for those, um, potentially two. And I think for sure one later this week, uh, like I said, tell your friends about the show. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.